This week, I'm continuing my virtual world tour and heading to Southeast Asia to visit with Dr. Syria Chunakamrai. She's a veterinarian in Bangkok, Thailand, and the current president of the World Small Animal Veterinary Association. Dr. Chunakamrai and I got to chat about the growth in pet ownership across Southeast Asia and the important steps being taken to raise the standard of care. She also shares her view on the recent Habri Global Survey results and the challenges she's faced being the president of Wasaba during a time when travel around the world continues to be difficult. So let's get to our vet visit with Dr. Chunakamrai. I'm very eager to continue my virtual trip around the world as we visit with leading veterinarians in many different countries and cultures. My next visit brings us to Thailand, and I'm thrilled to welcome Dr. Syria Chun Kamrai. In fact, Syria was the first veterinarian to open an equine practice in Thailand and the first woman to serve as president of Wasaba. So Syria, welcome to Vet Visit. You have a very unique background and your educational path was probably different from the typical veterinarian in Thailand. So could you tell us a little more about your education and one of the things we always ask our veterinary guests is what inspired you to pursue veterinary medicine for a career? Um, I think that I share the same probably childhood dream as so many vets that you wake up when you are three years old and you just announce to everybody that when I grow up, I'm going to be an animal doctor. Um, in my youth, I spent at my grandfather's house. They had 30 plus Thai mongrel dogs and cats, and I loved them, ticks and all. So when I graduated from Sat University Vet School in Thailand, I was offered a graduate research assistantship for a PhD program at the New York State College of Vet Medicine at Cornell University. So most of my uh, research at that time and my interest was with horses. And when I returned home, I felt that it, it's important that I pursue whatever I have gain my skills for to do something that could make a difference more at home rather than remain abroad. So I came home and I started my practice. And as you already mentioned, it's the first hospital to um, open as an equine practice. But actually, I also had a small, I still do, I still have a small animal hospital. At that time, I was the first to have a gas anesthesia, proper sterilization equipment, we added ultrasound, um, x-ray, endoscopy, and whatnot as the time went on. But I think that more than, more than all these equipment was a journey into how we continuously learn. And it, I I'm always so grateful that there's always someone that's so keen to share. And this is what I found in our veterinary community. Everybody is very generous and very keen to share. It is a great, great story. And uh, I'm, I'm curious, are, are uh, horses um, very popular in, in Thailand? I, I know in New York State, they're extremely popular, especially that uh, part of the state that uh, Cornell is located in. So, but what about Thailand? Is that a, is that a common uh, animal for uh, Thais to own? Uh, horse, flat, flat racing, yes. Uh, we also have Polo, equestrian sports, right. and um, the the usual equestrian sports. But I do think that one of the interesting things is the the ponies that live in the northern part of Thailand, and these are land race animals that actually 
with their phenotype. They look very, very much like the Mongolian horses that we often see. Uh, I wouldn't say that they're directly related to Shawalskis, but because the phenotype looks so amazingly similar that we embarked on it on a DNA research. And what we found was that the Thai ponies actually have genetic background. They are an ancient breed occurring naturally. And this is part of why I, I still maintain my interest in my work with, um, with ponies and horses, even though I might not be operating as much as I was before. Very interesting. So we've been communicating over email and, and Zoom really since last year, and it, it was great to finally meet you face-to-face in Las Vegas earlier this year at Western Vet Conference. I know you also, uh, as I said, graciously agreed to be my host when I visit Southeast Asia later this summer. I know you've been visiting many other veterinary conferences as uh, the, the pandemic has created all kinds of travel restrictions. How have you managed the challenges of being president of Wasaba during the pandemic? I may have a different perspective to the pandemic than others. And to me, it was opening a world of possibilities because it challenged us to look for meaningful connections and explore uh, the wonderful array of technical communication tools. I really felt that I could achieve more as a WSABA president by connecting with people all over the world. We had our members forums, we held our assembly meetings, we had many, many group meetings uh, with our volunteer groups and all over uh, Zoom channels, webcasts, things that can create that connectivity in an instant. And what I found is that everybody was so keen and willing to take part in whatever we were doing. So to me, I felt that we could move the association forward much more faster than falling back into the cumbersome uh, time that's involved with physical travel. Um, I also feel that it was a good opportunity for us to move into what I always dreamt that the, the WSABA could be, and that is moving from an O2O. It's a transition from offline to online. And of course, vice versa, we can always have face-to-face meetings and face-to-face gatherings, but becoming a platform to which we can create a community was so exciting for me. So I feel that it wasn't, it's a challenge, but it is a good challenge. Yeah, I can't help but uh, agree, Syria. I think that, you know, when the pandemic first uh, started, I was frustrated. I was in this new global role. I wanted to get out and 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 meet with people face to face. But I, what I realized over time is I can still do that over Zoom calls or other platforms, and I can do it a lot more frequently and a lot more in depth a lot of times than I can when I'm in face to face. In fact, that's how you and I met uh, was initially online. So there there was a, a silver lining to that cloud for sure. So it's so great, uh, you know, to have you on on Vet Visit. You're um, our first guest from Southeast Asia, and your personal experiences in the U.S. and and throughout the world as a key global leader in veterinary medicine likely give you a, a very unique perspective on the challenges and opportunities for our profession, the the growth of pet ownership in places like Southeast Asia and Thailand specifically has been significant. So what can you tell us about how veterinary medicine has changed in recent years in, in Thailand and how might you contrast that 
with veterinary practice in other markets like the U.S. or Europe or Latin America? Southeast Asia has been the seat of growth for the pet industry for quite some time now, and I still see that growth continuing. I can't speak with great knowledge on the market size or trends, but for pet ownership, I think it mirrors what we also are seeing in other parts of the world, any other region of the world. Even despite places that have economic challenges, we still see pet industry growing. As far as growth and challenges of the vet profession in terms of um, vet medicine, I think that there are market differences. Now, let, let's put it into two focus areas. And I would say one would be uh, standards of practice and the other one would be business models. For other parts of the world, the United States, Europe, probably standards of practice is at a certain point that we're not talking so much about growth. But in Southeast Asia, in many countries, especially in Thailand, the growth has been uh, continuous. And it really is something that I, I would put a lot of emphasis on a strong foundation. What we are seeing now is not something that just happened overnight. It's something that's happened from years of developing a veterinary community. So a very strong vet association is important. Um, having a veterinary council and creating that mindset of continuing education. I believe that we can all uh, strive to improve ourselves individually, but when you do it as a community, it is such market and sustainable growth. Currently, we have more board certified specialists. We also collaborate with specialty colleges, for instance, Asian Board of Vet Specialties or the European and American boards as well. The Postgraduate Foundation, University of Sydney, was probably the instigator of our continuing education program in Thailand 45 to almost 50 years ago. So this only happened because we could have a collaboration. When the WSAVA World Congress happened in Thailand in 2003 and once again in 2015, on both occasions, it created an, an explosion of growth, not just for Thailand, but for the region. So. This is the part that I feel made such a big difference to the advancement of the standards of practice. Now, if we look at comparing what would be different in the other markets that you mentioned, we could go to the business model side. And I believe that currently the business model that is happening both in the United States and in Europe might be more of uh, groups of veterinary practices coming together and into corporates or large chain practices. And I, that trend is probably coming soon to Asia, but it is not currently the main um, business model at the moment. And I mean, veterinarians, we often act like monks, Buddhist monks that is, because we're <laughs> hands off with money. We don't know how to do business. It's great that we could have uh, corporate setups that would take care of that. So that's one main difference that I see. But I still would like to go back and stress that even though we come together for um, good business practices or good models in that sense, it still should not take away from a community that is forged by, from the professional interest that we can see in veterinary associations. You know, Syria, I think that's one of the things that I love most about our profession. We really do behave uh, as a community, a very high functioning community at that. 
Um, it's a small community, even though there's hundreds of thousands of us around the world. Um, we, we're a lot alike in many, many ways. Uh, the big differences is we may lack some of the resources as you move from different markets and, and, and different regulatory environments. But what we want for our patients and, and our clients is the same uh, worldwide. I couldn't agree more. And except for one thing, you mentioned that we're a small profession. And someone said that to me actually just about three weeks ago in Tunisia. And they said that we are a small profession, but we are a big family. And I would say that we are a great profession and we are a very large family. Yes. I like that even better. So, so let's switch gears a minute. Uh, you and I have discussed uh, the results of this uh, international human-animal bond survey that uh, Zoetis partnered with uh, Habri on. What were the key takeaways for you? And, and if, was there anything in particular that uh, surprised you about the results? I, I think that um, it really signifies that special and important triangle that we often overlook. We as veterinarians often look at one or the other, like we are looking at the animal and then we're treating a sick patient. And at the same time, we are looking at the owner and then we're treating them as a client. When in fact, when you put all together under the human-animal bond, it forms a perfect triangle of the veterinarian, the pet, and the pet owner. If we can work as this collaborative unit we can actually create so much better lives for everyone that's involved. I have seen um, a megatrend that has been happening at the same time, even before, and that megatrend is in human wellness. So as we're more attuned to our own wellness, we naturally look to um, translating it to everything and everyone that we love around us, and therefore, pets move from companion animals to family members, we would naturally take care of them more. And I think that if veterinarians also see that and work together in that triangle, we could bring not just um, an answer to treating um, sickness in an animal, but wellness of the, the whole human animal um, group that we're talking about here. This is something that I, uh, I talk about a great deal when I'm promoting the veterinary profession, as you will, because I believe fundamentally that veterinarians are at the heart of public health for uh, the very reason that that bond exists and is so strong. And as we've been able to show the impact that it has on human well-being when that bond is strong. So how much more relevant now is the veterinary community when you don't just look at them as professionals who treat sick pets, but they're also part of ensuring the family itself is somehow healthier, more well because of their relationship with the pet. And then how does that change entire communities over time? I think veterinary medicine is something that I'm obviously very passionate about. And I think the more and more that we see each other in that light, and as the community of pet owners see veterinarians in that light, that can only be positive things for the profession. I think that a lot of professional wellness issues that we're talking about currently, and I'm not making light of the situation, but sometimes uh, it could come from us not taking advantage of that 
collaborative effort that we could have with the community pet owners as well. And then we take on a lot of the burden upon ourselves. I often call that a Superman syndrome because all kids love to play Superman. So we have to say, right. well, saving an animal is saving the world. But sometimes we have to remember that Superman is also Clark Kent. So we just need to right. be more Clark Kent so our pet owners could stand up and take on that preventative care, take on the part that they should play a role in, and we could work together. It would be much more fun. I like that very much. Now, the the, the survey that uh, we published or um, disclosed, I should say, earlier this year, uh, it didn't include Thailand, it, uh, but it included eight other countries, including, uh, at least in your general region, China and Japan. We're looking to add more countries in Latin America uh, over the course of this year, hopefully in time for uh, the World Congress in Peru. Now, if, if Thailand were in this survey, do you think it would uh, have uh, scored differently? Would it have been rated in, uh, any different than, than what you saw in most of the other countries? I would put my betting dollar on it that very much the same as what everybody was uh, returning in your survey would be what we're finding also in Thailand. Um, it's, it's amazing because, in fact, we at our own practice, we did do a little bit of a mini survey, not based exactly on your survey, but some of similar questions. And and it had had some feedback that was very similar. I, I think that it's exciting what you have found. And I can't wait to hear more. Yeah, that was the interesting thing about the survey for me as well, was the consistency. It wasn't at all surprised to see how important the human-animal bond was throughout the world, but the consistency of how people considered their relationships with pets was was pretty phenomenal. Now, now we say in the U.S. all the time that, at least especially over the course of my career, really, that pets moved from backyards into the house and eventually into our beds in just a handful of decades. Have you seen a similar trend in Thailand? I'm assuming you are. Yes, that's... Uh... Absolutely. That's exactly what we're seeing. That's why um, working with a global association, also reflecting on some of the things that we are creating as guidelines or standards, is also very relevant and applicable to most countries in the world. Uh, the, the fact that you have um, really a worldwide view of veterinary care in so many different countries what needs or challenges do you see in terms of raising the standard of care around the world? Uh, where, you know, does uh, Thailand fit in? There's challenges, of course, um, associated with providing veterinary care and standards of care in lower income countries that also have rising pet populations. So, for instance, the perception that veterinary care is costly. Uh, therefore, they might be neglecting preventative care bringing animals only in only when they're critical. This has to do with the economic factor. Um, certain issues such as readily available over-the-counter medicines and things that are being sold online, creating that possibility of people gaining accessibility when they shouldn't. And the last really important part that is a big challenge and one that the WSABA is strongly advocating for is about the availability of essential therapeutics. Um, this is a major issue in many countries and can come from 
governmental regulatory bodies that don't see the importance or have non-veterinary administration overseeing veterinary needs. It can also come from an, well, industry that doesn't see the importance of small markets. And what the WSABA can, can do in our circle of influence is to really get our member associations to see that there is a need that we, we must advocate for um, the availability and accessibility of things that are important for animal welfare. The other challenge that I, I see is um, that for professionals that are facing a lot of um, wellness challenges, this we're talking about mental wellness challenges, it's the challenge of keeping a sustainable veterinary community. If we continuously see people wanting to leave, having less job satisfaction, being more burnt out, um, this is something that if we don't address in the near future, we will have no more of a profession. So working together and what you have also brought out in the survey uh, and links to the human-animal bond well, I'm looking uh, forward very much uh, to working with you further on on this issue. I, I uh, this concept of regulatory harmonization, I think, is a very, very important one. I agree with you that the results of the HABRI survey and some of the new research that's coming out changes the context of that discussion. The explosive growth of pet ownership and the strength of that bond th throughout the world is something that I think is going to put greater and greater pressure on regulatory bodies to respond accordingly. So I'm looking forward to working with you and other organizations, other like-minded veterinarians to see how we can make that happen. So I, I'd like to give our listeners a, a little more of a view of, of veterinary practice in Thailand. So, you know, people may not know that the livestock industry, for example, uh, especially swine and poultry, are also very important components of the animal health industry in Thailand. So uh, how has that changed in, in recent years? And, and do you see veterinarians serving an important role in, in livestock care and food safety uh, in Thailand? I think that a lot of people think that Bangkok is Thailand. So Thailand is not a mega city. Thailand is actually an agrarian society. We are farmers, growers, we raise livestock. Um, and we often have a Thai saying that there's fish in the water and there's rice in the fields. And that's our uh, mantra for self-sustainability. I think that there is um, a very important role of the veterinarian in, in this culture. The livestock department actually has faced a lot of challenges in the recent years. And I know that during the pandemic, the only profession that was allowed to travel free range across the country during the pandemic were veterinarians. We were out there taking care of livestock, um, still doing jobs that uh, with disease outbreaks. And even though they are not livestock, African horse sickness affected Thailand during that time. And what I also found out during my volunteer time working there is the community of people that owned and raised livestock with their horses. Um, such a beautiful community. And more, moreover, I got to see many more Thai ponies, which was incredible. Even though what I'm working for is I work for the companion animal side, but 
in working during that animal health crisis of the African horse sickness, I've met so many people in the livestock department that we're just collaborating. It's, it's an amazing community. Yeah, I think um, one of the reasons why I asked this question is I'm headed to um, Africa. Uh, to get an update on our Alpha Initiative, which is basically providing veterinary support and education for smallholder farms in sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, what I've noticed is that there's many markets that are very ag-focused, but there's no veterinarians, there's no resources, um, there's nobody available to kind of teach them how to do that effectively and efficiently. Um, but it sounds like um, veterinarians are definitely part of the mix in terms of uh, the livestock industry in Thailand. Many of these other places, going back to working as a community, um, not just as the veterinarian that is going to provide the, the answer to everything, but to create that community collaborative effort for animal health, it translates immediately to human well-being. And that goes for communities that own and raise livestock and communities that you will also soon be seeing that raise ponies for a living because they will be working ponies. But how can we um, cater to all of the emergency needs in a country that is so, uh, that has economic challenges such as Cambodia? We cannot do it without the help of communities. They need to raise up and be strong, be that Superman for their ponies, for their animals. And that's why veterinarians, we know we're Superman. We just have to sit down so they can stand up. And I, I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to uh, visiting that area with, with you as my host. That won't be too long. I I think I, I'd like to, to close. Um, our podcast on one of my favorite topics, which is um, innovation. So this is uh, a very exciting time in veterinary medicine, you know, as the industry is creating many new innovations to help pets live longer, healthier lives. So how is innovation creating changes and opportunities in veterinary medicine in Thailand and some of the other markets you visited? Any challenges with regards to uh, access and regulatory approvals? And we've already touched on our, our desire for regulatory harmonization, and I don't think that's unique to Southeast Asia. I think that innovation is, um, is, has, has a very important role in part. There are innovations in our medical technology and also innovations in how we communicate those. So um, for instance, telemedicine and how we could connect with um, specialists or connect with expertise and that could essentially improve the care that we are providing for patients. Uh, innovation in terms of uh, technology or with equipment, I find that it's getting more and more affordable. What I'm just concerned with is that um, we we might become a, a society that respects technology rather than knowledge or wisdom. I still think that it's that um, personnel and expertise that we place upon it. So the mindset of continuously learning, working together to raise our standards and working uh, with collaborative 
efforts as a community is important. I remember vividly uh, in veterinary practice where uh, you know most of my career was in emergency practice. And as a result, I had lots of young veterinarians coming to work for me, especially those that had lots of student loan debt and they needed those nighttime hours to help them accelerate their payments on that student loan debt. But with young veterinarians, there there was that tendency to rush right to the technology, to uh, the diagnostics as soon as the animal walked through the door. And you sense there was, we were losing that art of the physical exam and all of the things that go into being veterinarian that is very much a hands-on, almost artistic approach to the practice of medicine, not just immediately reaching for technology as the solution. Now, I say that carefully because I represent a company that <laughs> produces a lot of great technology, and I'm not saying that we don't use it. It's just that that physical exam and uh, our direct contact with the animal, uh, our uh, ability to communicate effectively with the client is just as important as the medical technology and innovation that we bring into the exam room. Totally agree. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. I know you're one of the busiest people that I've ever known in this profession. I'm glad uh, we found a moment when you were staying still long enough that we could get you on the phone, even though it's uh, late in the evening in Thailand. It's a pleasure to me too. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for joining me for this first leg of my virtual world tour. I'm taking some time off for a little real world summer travel, and I'll be back in a few weeks to continue visiting with veterinarians from around the world. At Zoetis, our purpose is to nurture our world and humankind by advancing care for animals. I'm Dr. Mike McFarland, and I hope you'll join me at the next vet visit.